Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. When put to the test, Jesus boiled it all down to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. As good people, we want to love our neighbors. As lovers of God, we should love our neighbors. This blessed series is about how to practically love our literal neighbors. Now, BLESS is an acronym, stands for Begin With Prayer, Listen, Eat, Serve, and Share. As we've talked throughout about prayer, we've talked about listening, eating, and today we're going to talk about serving. We've come to find that bless isn't just a formula. This is a lifestyle that we're called to live. So how's it going? Like, how did you bless your neighbors this past week? Keep praying for them by name. Keep prayer walking your neighborhoods. Uh, Keep listening to your neighbors, asking curious questions, deepening conversation, deepening connection with them. Keep eating with your neighbors. Have them over for dinner. Throw a community get-together for your neighborhood. And when you do, let us know how we can help. Like, we are here as a church to help you win. So if you need resources, supplies, manpower, whatever it is, let us know through the form in the app so that we can come behind you and see you win in loving your neighbors, like Jesus calls us to do. Now, BLESS is actually going to wrap up next week. And here's the scary reality. As we near the end of this series, we can learn about loving our neighbors and we can think that that's good and we've grown in our faith. But if we merely learn about loving our neighbors and we don't actually love our neighbors actively, we'll have completely missed the point. Learning about loving our neighbors might make us feel good, might make us feel like we're growing in our spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity isn't from simply knowledge gained. We think it is. Like we think that spiritual maturity happens when we just gain more and more spiritual knowledge. But that's not what the case was in Jesus' eyes. And thus, it's just not the case for us. You see, if you want to see for yourself, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, where we're going to learn this very thing and what spiritual maturity actually looks like. Now, if you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along in our free church app. There's also a place you can jot down some notes there. As we prepare to read God's Word, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask to hear from Him. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it together. Would you please speak to us now? Would you grow us so that we are spiritually mature? And Lord, as we've been praying throughout this series, may our neighbors experience your love expressed through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if knowledge of God and knowledge of the things of God impressed Jesus, then Jesus would have asked for the guy in this account's autograph. But that's not what happened, much to this expert in the law's chagrin. You see, picking up the account in Luke 10, 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Okay, love for God, love for people. I mean, that sounds like the essence of Jesus' message to me. And it's no wonder that he then gives the lawyer an A plus for his knowledge. Like this guy gets it. Uh, his orthodoxy, it's, it's on point. Maybe you've heard that term, orthodoxy. It could have been a world religions class. It could have been a philosophy class. But basically, a refresher for us all, orthodoxy, it, it means right beliefs, right doctrine. And this guy, his knowledge is, is on point. His orthodoxy is solid. So Jesus praises him for this, but then he says, do this and you will live. As interesting as orthodoxy is, Jesus is equally concerned with, if not more so, with orthopraxy. It's another term you might have heard before. Orthopraxy is doing what is right. It's right practice. And Jesus invites this guy, this, this lawyer, down from his ivory tower to take it to the streets. But he's He's fascinated with his life in the ivory tower. He just wants to keep the theological conversation going because he still had some more to say. So in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, this guy got an A plus on the knowledge exam. Like he's good on that front. His problem is he needs to practice it, but he just wants more knowledge. And knowledge has an allure, doesn't it? I mean, with knowledge comes power. With knowledge comes prestige. With knowledge comes pride. Like, did you catch his motive? He wanted to justify himself. I've been guilty of this at times, too. Maybe you have, uh, you know, in undergrad and in grad school, I just wanted to grow in my knowledge of God and in knowledge of the things of God. I figured that if I just knew a little bit more about the intricacies of God, I would be a better Christian. That if I had a better understanding of uh, whatever it was, maybe Christian doctrine, that would make me a more respected pastor. Or maybe I needed to learn more about this or, or that, and people would think of me more highly as a leader. Here's what's interesting. No one has ever asked me to coffee because they wanted to talk about the hypostatic union, soteriology, ecclesiology, eschatology, or whateverology. If you know any of those big words I just said, could you too be guilty of possibly knowing more about faith than living out your faith? When we live in this zone, we gotta be really cautious because it doesn't take much to become prideful, judgmental, even hypocritical. Now, if there was anyone who had a PhD in theology, it was Paul. I mean, this guy had a resume that would just totally blow my seminaries out of the water, my seminary professors out of the water. And, and here's what he had to say about knowledge. This is in 1 Corinthians 8.1. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Yeah, tweet that. When I read this 
passage, I, I, I imagine knowledge like like consuming food, okay? And if if it's like consuming food, and when we're gaining knowledge, if we just keep gaining knowledge, we just keep consuming, and there's no output, we're just going to grow spiritually obese. But when that knowledge, when that consumption, when that when that intake fuels love expressed, we actually can be spiritually healthy, spiritually fit. Jesus is not impressed with knowledge about love. Jesus expects love to be expressed to those around us. And that's what he illuminated next back in Luke 10, now in verse 30 through 35. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite came. He came to the place, and he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Knowing that the lawyer would feel uncomfortable with what Jesus was about to say, Jesus chooses to use a parable to illustrate his point. Now, in the parable, a guy gets mugged. He's left for dead on the side of a road. And first comes a priest, probably having just served his priestly duties in Jerusalem. He's on his way back. And like the lawyer, the priest knew the things of God. So the priest knew that if he touched this guy who appears to be dead, then he won't be able to perform his priestly duties. So what does he do? Well, he just walks as far away around the guy as possible. It'd be as if I, as a pastor, after recording this message, I walk outside and I see someone who is clearly hurting and I just walk right past them to get in my car and go home. Well, after the priest, a Levite comes down. Also, same road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This guy, he's like a church worker. He might have been just helping the priest do his priestly duties. For us, it might be someone like Jake, who's our creative arts director. Helps lead us in worship, oversees all of our communications efforts. Now, if you know Jake, you know he would never do this, but the Levite, the Levite does the same thing the priest does. He just walks by, takes the far away around, doesn't want to come even close to this guy who looks like he's dead. Now we got this third character, a Samaritan. And when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, everyone would have thought like, oh, listen in, like this is going to be good. Because Jews loathed Samaritans. They hated them. You see, Jews considered Samaritans half-bloods. Samaritans, they believed some things in Judaism, but then they also believed these other interesting mix of things because other, like pagans, pagans had influenced their the religious beliefs. So Jews, they just had completely written off Samaritans. In fact, if a Jew was traveling and it was faster to go through Samaria, the Jew would definitely take the long way around. Like 10 out of 10 times, that's what they do. So honestly, any parallel that I try to draw is going to fall short. 
but I, I want to try so you can feel what this would have felt like for Jesus' audience, for the lawyer. You see, picture who it would be for you. Like, who is the least likely hero? Who's the person who's so different from you that you just never associate with them? Like, is it young people? Is it old people? Is it rich people? Is it poor people? Is it people of a different skin color or a different lifestyle? Whoever it is for you, for the Jews, it was Samaritans. So when Jesus has the Samaritans swoop in with a red cape, cut everyone's attention. And Jesus describes his response this way. He took pity on him. Another translation, the, the ESV puts it this way. He had compassion. Okay, the original language is this idea of he's moved in his inward parts. Like, have you ever felt something so deeply that you feel it in your gut? That's how the Samaritan felt. And he had this compassion on him. You see, because he felt something, he had to do something about it. Orthopathy is right affections or right emotions. Like, and it's actually orthopathy. It's, it's, our, it's the emotions that we feel that actually propel us to act. It's the orthopathy is what leads to orthopraxy. For the Samaritan, now this wasn't just like a quick, like, oh, hey, dude, like, you good? Good. No, no, no. This guy got off his donkey. You know, he, he gets down, he bandages his wounds, hoists the guy up on his donkey, and brings him to an inn where he then funds this guy's long-term care. When he got up that morning, do you think the Samaritan opened up his Google Cal and said, Oh yeah, on the way home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of the guy who looks like he's dead on the side of the road. Of course not. You know, I want to respond like the Samaritan. I really do. But experience tells me that I've acted more like the priest and the Levite at times. See, there was this time, I'm in seminary, biking home from the gym. And I see this guy on the side of the South Platte Trail, and he is just passed out. I don't, was he homeless? Wasted? I don't know. Because I just blew right past him. I justified it in my mind saying to myself, I got to get back. I got to do my seminary homework. You know, it's, it's an embarrassing lesson to learn, but hurry is the enemy of love. So if we want to be loving neighbors, we can't be hurried neighbors. Being a loving neighbor is what Jesus is after after all, and it's where he actually lands the plane with this lawyer. In verses 36 and 37, it says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, the conversation began with the lawyer trying to justify himself. He wants a pat on the back, a, a fist bump for his knowledge. And Jesus acknowledges his knowledge, but Jesus then schooled him in, in showing that it's actually love expressed that Jesus is after. The lawyer was intellectually concerned with, who is my neighbor? Jesus flips the script. And he's essentially like, look, loving your neighbor isn't about who you should love. Loving your neighbor is about who you are. Like, you are a loving neighbor. The goal isn't knowledge Gain. The goal is love expressed. And spiritual mature, the spiritual mature, they aren't, they aren't up in their ivory tower. No, no, no. They're out sweeping the streets. This is about living out our faith. 
Because knowledge of God should foster the heart of God in us so much so that we want to express the love of God to those around us. It's orthodoxy that leads to orthopathy, which leads to orthopraxy. Head, heart, hands. You know, it kind of sounds a little bit like what Jesus said in regards to the great commandment. This is Mark 12, uh, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now this series, this blessed series, it's all about taking the mystery out of loving our literal neighbors. So here's how you could show Jesus love, take your faith to the streets this week. One, serve the one in need. Like the good Samaritan, the, the good neighbor, when you see a need, meet a need. When, when your neighbor needs a hand, lend a hand. After Snowmageddon in March, all my neighbors were buried in snow. Uh, we had like over a foot and a half of snow and Coolwinder, my next door neighbor, is out there. He's using one of those like wimpy electric snowblower things and he's making zero progress. I look across the street and Kazmi is has one of those emergency car shovels <clears throat> and he's trying to dig himself out. At this point, the sun's beating down, the snow is wet. And I'm like, that's not solving an emergency. That's going to cause one. Now, being from Maine, snow is like what we do. Okay, so having lived there previously, I have like this big honking gas snowblower. It, honestly, it looks ridiculous 99% of the time. But on that day, God equipped me to make a difference with my neighbors. So I go over to Coolwinder and then I go over to Kazmi. And honestly, at first, both of them, they're hesitant. They don't want to want help. They don't want to be a bother. But they realize that the electric snowblower and the emergency shovel aren't getting them anywhere. So they oblige. And I, I, I do their driveways. And Jeff, my other neighbor, other next door neighbor, he looks out his window. He sees me snowblowing Kazmi across the street. So Jeff comes out. His snowblower had ran out of gas. So we get him filled up with gas. And then Jeff and I, we looked down the street and others hadn't even gotten out. I mean, like, I don't know what their strategy was. Just like hunker down, wait for it to melt. Like, this is a lot of snow. It could take some time. So we just start moving through driveways like there are runways at DIA. We're just, we're, we're tag teaming it. We're tackling them one after another. And eventually we just, we, we lost track of how many driveways we did. And I, I stumble into my house and I am just dog tired. I look in the mirror and I am so red. I'm like as red as a lobster. And I quickly remember I am not in Maine anymore. But as I look in the mirror, I think, man, I am so, I'm full. Like, like today I got to show God's love to my neighbors. What a blast that was. And here's what I've learned, what the Holy Spirit's taught me from that day in seminary to the day after Snowmageddon. When a need arises, don't blow past it, blow through it. In a community like we live in, an affluent community, it can be hard to identify needs of others. So as a church, we're, we have a tool that we want to make available to you. We've partnered with a local nonprofit called Beautiful Redemption. They have this tool called Care Portal. You can actually access Care Portal on our website or our app just under the Connect tab. 
And what's so cool about this tool is when you look at this, you actually can scroll through needs of people who literally live in our community and these needs have been vetted by social service agencies. So like, you know, these are legitimate needs. You can take the need and you can make a difference right away. We're actually going to use this tool on a regular basis to help our community groups show God's love to their local community. But here's the deal. You can do it yourself too. You can go on the website, you can go on the app, and you can find a need and you can meet a need today. Now, by the nature of meeting a need as a way that we serve our neighbor, it's kind of reactive in nature. And that's okay. There's a time and a place to react and show God's love in that way but we can also be proactive. In fact, we should be proactive. So that leads us to number two, serve the one next door, all right? We wanna make a difference, but most of us, we can't move overseas and do missions, but we know what we can do? We can walk across the street. What if God hasn't called you there because he called you here? Like who is gonna show God's love to your literal neighbors if you don't? Who's gonna do it? That's why God created you. In this series, the invitation is for us to be the expression of God's love to our neighbors in a way that they experience his love. It's our prayer over this 40 days of prayer. So a key way that we do that is serving those right around us. So say your neighbor is away on vacation. Just mow their lawn for them. You're walking down the street, you see a trash can that's been knocked over and trash has gone everywhere. Don't go knock on their door, just pick it up. Okay, if they need to borrow a tool, or even better, if they need, to, they need a hand, just drop what you're doing and go help them. I, I highly doubt that it's gonna take as long and it's gonna be as laborious as helping a guy on the side of the road who's left for dead, bandaging his wounds, getting him in your car and bringing him to long-term care and then funding it all. But even if that's what you stumble upon, you know what? You don't even need to pray about it. Jesus already spoke about it. So be a loving neighbor. Serve the one in need. Serve the one next door. It's our knowledge of God that should foster the heart of God in us. And when, when we feel what God feels, when we have compassion on others, we got to do something about it. Now, as a church, you know, we want to do this in really meaningful ways. And you know what? We also want to do it in some fun ways too. We want to show up and just randomly bless our community. And we're going to do something like that here next week. On August 9th, from 7 to 9, we're just going to pass out free coffee at the Ridgegate Light Rail Station. Following Jesus is fun. Mondays aren't. So let's make someone's Monday and just bless him with a free cup of coffee. If you want to be a part of this, you totally can. You can find out all the details. You can sign up all in our app. So, as we close, when our neighbors experience God's love expressed through our actions, you know what they're going to be ready for? They're going to be ready to hear about God's love expressed with our words. More on that next week.